Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Six seconds to go. Comes in the Tucker. Ewing sets a screen. The shot is off. Loose ball. Ewing goes up. The basket counts. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Stricken Roll. This is episode 23. I'm your host, Shwini Poo, and this is going to be a little solo pod, so not too long, just a little quick hitter. Uh, but before we get started, I do have to announce that Strickland has a Patreon. You can subscribe to it. There are a number of tiers. There's a $6 tier that gets you access to Pod Strickland that I do every Friday with Prez. You also get access to the Strickland mailbag that comes out every other week, hosted by Drew Steele, a.k.a. Doug. You also get access to the Strickland Discord, where the conversation never stops. There's also a $9 tier that get, gets you access to this pod right here in full, Strick and Roll, my solo pod, where I rant and rave about the Knicks even more. You also get access to wonderful weekly articles by Jack Huntley, Matthew Miranda, and sometimes even Jeffrey Rasmussen. They are the best in the business. Definitely recommend checking all of that out. There are further tiers. There's a $15 tier, $30 tier, $50 tier, and $100 tier. Those come with a variety of additional benefits like listening in on pod recordings, merchandise discounts, and even potentially co-hosting a podcast alongside yours truly one day. Whether you choose to subscribe or not, none of this would be possible without you. So, um, look, I just wanted to record something really quick because nothing has actually happened yet. You know, the Knicks are, what, two days into training camp, effectively, and this this is, I'm recording this on Thursday morning, um, media day, or content day, sorry, I should be very specific, Knicks content day, uh, was on Monday, so really, nothing has happened yet, and nothing will happen until the regular season starts, because preseason is, you know, it, it doesn't, first of all, the games don't count, and second of all... It is a time for experimentation and trying new things and considering how to evolve your team and roster and what players uh, have added to their games and what you can do with that. And that's what I wanted to talk about because the only newsworthy thing to me that's come out of training camp so far are all of the little tidbits that Tibbs is leaving for us that indicate this man has zero inclination, desire, motivation, whatever you want to chalk it up to. Uh, he, he, none of that can make him change his beliefs, his stubborn ways of how to use this roster, deploy this roster. Um, and look, you can... People can say, oh, you're overreacting. Oh, you're just getting mad for likes on Twitter, which I don't really understand. Like, is that is that a thing that people just get angry and post stuff on Twitter to get likes? Or maybe, like, what if, I'm just going to throw this out there, what if you post stuff on Twitter just because that's what you think? 
I, I know that's a crazy concept for some people um, that you might do that on your personal Twitter account. But yeah, like it's possible that you just, you know, post stuff that you actually feel and believe. I don't know. That's just me. Uh, anyway, I don't want to go too deep into that. But he started the first day, or sorry, I guess, yeah, not, not content day, but after the first day of training camp, he said, oh, you know, Evan Fournier is the front runner to be the starting two guard. Now, I want to be very clear about this. If I believed that Tibbs would run his rotations differently, I don't think this would be that big of a deal. Because you you can start a lineup, even a an ideal lineup, a suboptimal lineup. And if you're quicker on the trigger with regards to subs and mixing and matching lineups and, and players, it's okay. You can, you can work around that. You can get different guys enough minutes, but we have, we are entering year three of Tibbs. We know how he manages his lineups. We know how he manages his rotations. He does hockey subs. That's his thing. That is his thing. There's no, other thing, like th- that, that's how he runs his lineups. That is why, even when, you know, you can look this up, okay? Even after Derrick Rose was injured last year, and remind and and just a reminder that for much of that same period of time, Kemba Walker is also entirely out of the team. Okay. Even after that point, Emmanuel Quickly, who is your backup point guard and really was the only point guard. Um, that was capable of playing point guard last year uh, at a requisite level. He played, he only averaged 23.9 minutes per game from that point on. That's in late December, okay? That's, it's, and it's because of how he runs his rotations. If you don't start, it is nearly, it's basically impossible for him to get you above 25 minutes per game because he does hockey subs. The starters will play the first eight to 10 minutes, then he brings in a set of substitutes, and they get until about the five or six minute, or yeah, about four or five minutes. I would say with about four or five minutes left in the in the second quarter, they will come out and the starters will come back in. And he effectively repeats the same approach in the second half. There is no way for a bench player to exceed a certain amount of, of minutes. And it doesn't matter how well they play, doesn't matter. It's not about that. It's about how he structures his rotations. And lineups, and there is no give. There is no adjustment period. There is no, oh well, this isn't working. I'll try. It's no. This is how he runs his lineups. And then on top of that, as we have seen for two years, he will run a suboptimal starting lineup and barely adjust. If if you really think about this, last year the Knicks were. I thought it was pretty apparent early in the year that. Things with that starting group were not ideal. His only change the entire year, and really, if you think, actually, his only change of a starting lineup for two years in New York is bringing in Alec Burks to start for Kemba Walker. That's it. The year before, he never changed the starting lineup. Not until the playoffs, anyway, which, whatever. He didn't change the starting lineup. And it was a negative unit the entire year. The bench bailed it out. And the bench was awesome. And last year... That's it. He changed one thing. He changed Alec Burks for Kemba Walker, and that was it. There was no other change. He did not give Emmanuel quickly a chance, and that was that. 
because Alec Burks was the best we got. That was his reasoning. Alec Burks is the best we got. And maybe you can take that at face value. I can't. I think it's insulting, and I think it's ridiculous. It's cowardly coaching. Um, part of coaching is it is trying things. It is pushing the envelope to see where you can extract value from on your on your roster. And we can sit here and we can have honest conversations about the front office because let's be clear, all of the things that I am critical of about Tibbs, at this point, three years, this is their third year, it's on them as much as anybody else. Maybe more so if you want to do that. But they are now sticking with this coach who has this rigid approach. It is on them. But the point is, as a coach, if you have a suboptimal roster, there is still a way to optimize it to the best of your ability. If you, if you cease to stop, if you don't try, that's not an excuse. Being like, oh, well, he doesn't have this, doesn't have... No one is expecting Tibbs to win a championship with these teams, okay? That's not the standard. No one's saying, oh, my God, if Tom Thibodeau doesn't lead this team to a top-four seed again, get rid of him. No. What, what's being said is you have a roster. The Knicks are not blessed with superstar talent. Not yet, anyways. Hopefully, R.J. Barrett develops into that type of player, or Jalen Brunson takes a leap, or whatever. But the point is they don't have a superstar, or a star even, fair. I think it's fair to say yet. But what they do have, they have a lot of pretty solid rotation players in the NBA. And they have a lot of interesting, intriguing pieces that can play multiple positions. And we have a coach who isn't interested in any of that. He's not interested in utilizing the depth to find advantages. He is not interested in figuring out, maybe there's a matchup where Cam Reddish makes more sense on this given night than an Evan Fournier. Or on this given night, because of the matchups, maybe Randall and Obi Toppin is viable option as a four and five, at the four and five for some period of time. He's not interested in even trying that or attempting it. He's already dismissed it. Right? He already dismissed this yesterday when he basically lied, first of all, he flat out lied. Um, he said that the data shows that that group hasn't been effective. It's bullshit. Uh, the data actually shows they've been a slight positive in very minuscule minutes, right? They've only played they only played 101 minutes last year. Um, and look, if you want to tell me, if Tibbs got up there and was like, you know, that's not something I'm I'm comfortable going with yet, but we'll see how the season goes. I can at least deal with that because that's honest. That's honest. We know he doesn't believe that. For him to go up there and just disingenuously say. Oh yeah, the data just shows it's just not very effective. I mean, it's it's bullshit, is what it is. It's nonsense. It's not factually true, because the data shows the exact opposite. And I I think it'd be reasonable to. I think it's it's possible that lineup, if you give it or that unit, yeah, whatever alignment, uh, if you give it more minutes, it, it does become more of a negative, and maybe you can't win those minutes. I think that's very possible. But you, we've had this group for two years now, and he's not tried. They've played about 150 minutes combined in two seasons together. That's your proverbial, that was your best player two years ago. And I guess he was still at least viewed as the best player last year. And your eighth overall pick. Like, if you're not trying that, then, I mean, I don't, I just don't get it. Like, I understand that Tibbs has 
you know, he, he's extremely opinionated, I guess maybe the right word. He is or strongly believes that you need to have rim protection on the floor at all times. But this, again, just speaks to his inflexibility because he doesn't want to alter or evolve a defensive scheme and coverage in the slightest to try something new because you can't just run drop coverage, you know, and, and like you can't run what he does with Mitch and Sims and all these guys who are elite rim protectors, right? He can't do that with Obi Toppin and Julius Randle. Maybe you have to switch more. Maybe you have to trap more. Maybe there are things you're going to have to do that are different. But he doesn't even want to try because to him, he's already determined that there's no possible way the reward could be worth the risk. And that's just, it's cowardly coaching. It's unimaginative. It's a waste of time. It's not productive it's it what it does right this and this is always the problem with Tibbs and this is why I think he is a coach who is great at getting you to a certain level and once you've hit that level it's time to go it is time to get him out of there and in some ways I think the fact that we probably had more talent than I or many anticipated when he first took the job that first year because we had more talent than expected uh, that team quickly punched above its proverbial weight um, and definitely hit a level that I don't, I mean, look, I don't think anybody thought before the year they were going to finish what the fourth seed would go 41 and 31 empty gym or not. Nobody thought that. And he, he deserves a ton of credit for that. He was awesome that year as a coach. He hit all the right buttons with that team. Um, they bought in, you know, he got buy-in immediately from a group that was, I mean, it was a, uh, what what was it? It was a kind of hodgepodge of players and talent and whatever it was. But he got a lot of buy-in. He got everything he could out of that group. Uh, even like like yes, did I, you know, did I pull my hair out over him starting Alfred Payne? Do I think that was a terrible choice and an illogical one? Yeah, absolutely. But like honestly, that's about the only thing I took major issue with, right? Like it, that was it, really. Last or the first year. But once he gets you to that point, he can't get you to a higher level unless you just bring in talent and talent and talent, which is not reasonable or feasible or prudent necessarily. The NFL's opening week was action-packed, and it's just getting started. Get ready for week two of touchdowns, big plays, and even bigger wins with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. This week, new customers can bet just $5 on any football game and get $200 in free bets instantly. Want more action? Everyone can experience the thrill of DraftKings' early win promotion. It's simple. This Sunday, bet on any NFL team to win. If your team leads by 10 at any point during the game, you get paid instantly, even if your team loses. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code TBPN to get $200 in free bets instantly when you place a $5 bet on any of any football game. That's code TBPN only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Lately, I've been listening to a lot of JID, and it's been great. One reason it's been great to listen to because I use my Raycon wireless earbuds to do it. Raycon's everyday earbuds look, feel, and sound better than ever. With optimized gel tips for the perfect in-ear fit, these earbuds are so comfortable and 
they will not budge. Trust me. Raycons give you eight hours of playtime and a 32-hour battery life. Raycons are priced just right. You get quality audio at half the price of other premium audio brands. It's no wonder Raycon's everyday earbuds have over 50,000 five-star reviews. I personally just love the, uh, the, the earbud tap functions. Those are really nice. Uh, the awareness mode is also great because as soon as you turn on your little Bluetooth thing on the phone, it automatically locks in. And uh, let me tell you, I go on a run every single day. I can't hear anything uh, when I have these in. So highly recommend, have enjoyed my usage of them. Uh, go to buyraycon.com today and use code TBPN15 to get 15% off your Raycon order. That's code TBPN15 at buyraycon.com to score 15% off. Buyraycon.com, code TBPN15. He has no ability to think beyond a certain level. And, or, you know, I don't, I, that's not even fair because I do think he can think beyond a certain level. He's not comfortable attempting to go outside of his comfort zone, right? He is not willing to do that because to him, Doing what he thinks is best is the best way to win. And deviating from that is a way to lose. That is a way that you can potentially lose. So I don't even know what to say. I just think that there is a certain level he gets he gets you to. And that doesn't make him a bad coach. But I think for right now, for this team, it, it does make him a bad coach. Because after a certain point, he is no longer capable of pushing you beyond that. And, you know, he's just stubborn about so many things. You know, like, look, and this is on the front office as much as it is on him. Derek Rose, all right, he's been a really good player for us the last two years when he's been healthy. Doesn't play a lot. Misses a ton of games. But when he plays you know that Tibbs is going to play him. like, And he's not just going to play him. He's going to put him in a prominent role. He's going to put him on the ball. He's going to be the backup point guard. And because of that, guess what? Emmanuel Quickly, who was probably the team's best player last year, in my opinion anyway, you know, if you think it was R.J. Barrett, whatever, I don't really want to – well, we don't need to debate that because I'm on here by myself. Um, whatever. The point is he was one of the team's best players last year, one of the only bright spots of the team's performance last year. And the second half of the year, he was the backup point guard. You know, he really came on after All-Star break, right? He put up 21-7-7 and uh, per 36. I think it was basically 15-5-5 five five in his actual production, you know, actual minutes average. Uh, and he had a just under 60 true shooting. He had 44-41 splits from the field. Like, this kid was lights out. He had a 30-point triple-double to close the season. And I know they were playing a Raptors team that wasn't necessarily, you know, it wasn't at full strength and it wasn't trying at some elite playoff level. But I mean, look, it doesn't matter. Like we've seen games that don't matter before. Putting up a 30 point triple double is not nothing. You know, that actually is if if some other young player on another team did that, we'd be like, oh, wow, that's really impressive. Maybe that's a kid we should look out for next year. Um. But the point is, like, do you, do, you, do you have any faith that with the addition of Jalen Brunson, 
and Derrick Rose being back and healthy, at least to start the year, that Emmanuel quickly will be prioritized in any way by this coach. I don't. I don't see any evidence evidence of it. He couldn't even prioritize him over Alec Burks last year. And Alec Burks is not a fucking point guard. Uh, like, I don't know what to say about that. That's just reality. That's what happened. You know? Um, so I just... And stuff like that... Ha- like, he he can tell... He can say and talk about, oh, oh I love our kids. or Obi works so hard. Love him. Show me. Because... If you really love him that much and you think he just needs to get minutes and it's about performance and you know he loves to you say all these fucking things oh it's not about the individual it's about the group and making everybody better and blah blah if it was all about the group and making everybody better and it's about performance then Obi Toppin and Emmanuel quickly would have played a lot more last year that's just a fact I'm sorry it's a fact but it's not always about that because it's it's and I'm sorry, like the idea that, well, he couldn't bench some of these guys or he couldn't cut somebody's minutes because they were making XYZ money. Like it's it's a cop out. It's bullshit. If if he's that unable, you know, if he if he has such little agency to make decisions with the rotation, with minutes, all these things, then get then then he's not really doing anything then you're saying i can do that job you can do that job anybody can do that job because we're not actually making decisions we're just beholden to contracts and optics that's bullshit i'm sorry it's complete bullshit um it it doesn't stand up to any scrutiny you know it it just doesn't like i'm sorry the guy benched yeah and i know kemba walker wasn't some huge mega signing maybe in terms of (laughs) the way it was sold it was but contractually obviously wasn't some huge mega signing and he benched him, right? Took him out of the rotation. But but he couldn't do that to Alec Burks. We can't we can't start Emmanuel quickly over Alec Burks. What could possibly happen in the locker room? Oh my god, the team dynamics he's managing. Get, give me a fucking break. Okay? Like like if he can't handle if he can't just go to Alec Burks and be like, "Yo, listen. Um thank you. Like you've been doing a great job. I appreciate that you've been gutting it out for me and I know it puts you in a tough position." Uh but I want to just, we're going to start Emmanuel quickly. You're still going to be in the rotation. You're going to come off the bench. You're my first guy off the bench. Um, but we, we want to see what this kid can do as a starter. If you can't have that conversation, then you're just a bad coach. Or you're incapable. Or you're incompetent. I don't know. I don't know. I don't think Tibbs is incompetent. But he clearly has flaws that make him incapable of doing some things that are just basic. You know, if if Eric Spolstra can bench Duncan Robinson not even a year into what was it a five year ninety million dollar contract or whatever it was. Why is it so hard for us to to believe that Tibbs forget benching Randall? I agree that's not feasible, but really last year there were how many games did we watch? We were like, all right, that's enough. Like Randall's just terrible right now for this game at least. Anyway, cut his minutes and put Obi in. Let Obi cook. Let's see what he can do. And he never took that opportunity except for when Randall was injured, basically. That was it. That was the only time that you got to see Obi Toppin play a shit ton of minutes. You know, like it, it is. It, it's just the reality, um, and stuff like that is. I, I don't know. Like, if he's incapable of doing things like that, then why? Why do we want to stick with this coach? You know, I, I don't get it. I, I really don't. I, I just don't, and, and it's frustrating because, look. Obi, look, 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 here's, this is insane to me, okay? Obi Toppin, 
second year, you know, there's two years into his career. He was the eighth overall pick, and he was really good last year. I think that's fair to say that. I think, I think anybody who's a Knicks fan who watched this team the entire year would say that he was really good. That's not to say he's amazing, he's going to be high-end starter, all-star, no. But in his role, he was really good last year, okay? And yes, did he struggle shooting the three at times? Absolutely. Do you want to know who else struggled shooting the three at times? Julius Randle. Okay, but here's the point. We're two years into his career. He has played, okay? He has played a grand total of 21 games where he's played over 20 minutes. 21 games in two years. And he's played 134 games of his career, or in his career so far. So we are talking about, I don't even know, I think that's, I'll do it right now. It's about 15, it's just over 15% of total games. That's unacceptable. And that's not just about, oh, well, he's in a tough position because Randall and OB play the same position. Like I mentioned before, he doesn't even want to see if those guys can play the same position or play together. He's not interested in even finding that out, even though, even though, right, he says performance dictates your minutes. Performance dictated that OB Toppin should have played a lot more last year. And he didn't because he doesn't want to try to change anything. And he also doesn't, he didn't, at least last year, want to hold Randall accountable in any way, right? I understand. If you want to tell me it's impossible to cut Randall's minutes to, you know, he can't bench him, fine. I I, I don't want to get into that, right? But let's take that at face value. I think that's fair. If you want to just say he can't bench him, fine. He can't cut his minutes some nights to 26 minutes, something? When he's just playing like an asshole? When he's taking terrible shots, he's not trying on defense, he's lollygagging up and down the floor? You can't cut his minutes on those nights? If you can't do that, then you're not a good coach, or you're not you're not a coach that's holding anybody accountable. You're you're not, and the 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 struggles and all this are that I don't know. He, he's he's a weird guy, and I don't think it's fair to say in New York that he just doesn't play young guys. But given the choice, he will always err. It seems on leaning on veterans over young players despite any and all evidence. And let's let's talk about this. I If I have to fucking see one more person talk about, well, can't blame him for, make, for him making the decisions he does because he's trying to win games, and that's how he's geared, and that's how he's always been. And because of that, he's always going to go with the veterans. Okay, if this is bullshit. Again, if he wanted to win more games last year, there's plenty of evidence to suggest giving players like Emmanuel Quickly or Obi Toppin, more minutes would have helped him win more games. He can at least fucking try it. He didn't even try to do that. He didn't try to do that. He just kept doing the same things over and over and over again, which ended up sinking the season with that miserable 3-17 and February where we blew a bunch of 20-point leads, where he lost to a bunch of dog shit teams. And he never changed. He didn't even change after All-Star break. Really, he didn't. This whole like, oh, well, he... No, he didn't give guys more. The only thing he changed was Jericho Sims became the backup five. That's it. He upped Quickly's minutes a little bit. Randall missed time, so OB got more minutes because of that. Like, that's he didn't change anything. He didn't change his substitution patterns. He didn't change starting lineup. He didn't change anything. So that's a crack of shit. And the other crack of shit is 
continuing to to justify if he wants if he wants to be judged on judge me on wins and losses, I'm fine with that. Let's judge him on wins and losses. Because to me, you can make a very reasonable argument he did a really bad job of maximizing the wins that he could get out of last year's team. I think that team was definitely should have been in the play-in mix. Obviously, we finished outside the plan, just outside the plan. But we should have been in that mix, and we weren't. And I think a large part of that, I mean, the two biggest factors to me are, yes, Julius Randle being terrible, um, arguably the biggest reason. I think, no, let's just say, I think that is the biggest reason, more important than Tibbs' coaching. But Tibbs' coaching was second. I think he did a terrible job last year. And I was on record saying that I think he should have been let go at the end of the season. I thought he should have been let go at the All-Star break, to be honest. I really did. I thought he was that bad. Um, but we're here, we're entering year three. And now we got to talk about the front office because I like the moves they've made in large part. You know, I like getting Jalen Brunson. It's a really good player in his prime that you got in free agency on a contract that I think is fair. We'll see how it ages. I think that's a pretty fair contract. I'm more confident about that contract than I I am about how much we're ever going to get out of Julius's contract, but that's a different subject. You know, I like I, adding Isaiah Hartenstein. He's a really good player, solid player. He's also young. You know, Brunson's not old either. He's 26, so you're getting his prime years. Hartenstein's 24. You know, he's not even entering his prime yet. So you added two nice pieces, you know. Um, I, I, I will defend the draft day trade. Right? Once all the details came out, I was fine with that trade. Yeah, the 11th pick, they got three conditional first. And if you want to judge that purely on, oh, well, it didn't move the needle for Donovan Mitchell, well, Fine. I don't really want to debate that. I think that was a good value trade. Uh, yes, they had to dump a bunch of seconds in that deal to move off Kemba Walker. Yes, that they could have taken Jalen Duran or somebody else with the 13th pick if they did it. Okay, fine. But I'm as a pure just the value of that trade, I'm fine with what they got back. I like that they accepted the errors of the contracts they gave out last year and cleared three of them anyway off their books. And that obviously gave them the cap space to sign Jalen Brunson and as a at Isaiah Hartenstein. Okay. Like these are good moves, but you've tied yourself to a coach where it actually complicates things now. And it complicates things in a way that reduces the value of your young players because they're going to be blocked because of again the coach. And because you actively chose you you chose not to trade Derek Rose's offseason. Is Tibbs the driving force behind that decision? Sure, but at the end of the day, Leon's making the call. So that's on Leon, right? That's on him. I refuse to believe there was no way to move Derrick Rose. He was an expiring contract for a good player when he's healthy, a really good player when he's healthy. There's no way you could not you could not have moved that. Okay. I don't know if there was a trade for Julius Randall or not on the table, but the fact of the matter, he's still here. And as a result, especially with this coach, again, who you, who you as the front office, Leon Rose as the front office, as the head of the front office, have continued to tie yourself to, because of that, we know that Obi Toppin is not going to see significant minutes. We know that. Like, it, that's just a fact. It really is. Unless Randall gets hurt, we are not going to see serious Obi Toppin minutes. So that is what it is. And, you know, you traded a protected first last year for Cam Rich. I like that move. I think it's a good gamble. You know, he's a big wing. Can do some things. He's versatile. Uh, potentially, has he been a good NBA player so far in his career? No. 
but you wouldn't have gotten him if he was. You got him because you're betting on your ability to develop and harness that talent into a productive player, mold him into a productive player, kind of like what the Warriors did with Wiggins. I am not saying that, that Cam Reddish is as good as Wiggins was when, uh, you know, certainly not early in his career or even when he was traded, but it's a similar type of bet, okay? You traded a protected first Kevin Knox to get him. If you want to tell me it was too hard to create minutes for him last year, you know, and then obviously there were injuries and he was actually starting to get in the rotation and playing well, but then he unfortunately gets hurt. Okay, fine. I, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt as the front office for all that. But we are now coming into the season and there's no clear path for him to get minutes. I, I think like it's, we're talking about him like we're, I think the majority of people are expecting him to not be in the rotation. Why did you trade for this guy then? He's in a contract year now. What was the point of doing that trade if you're not even if you're not aggressively trying to get him a role and get him minutes in the rotation? That was a pointless trade then. It was a pointless trade even though I liked it at the time because you have now you know you're you're spiting yourself because you're not willing to take a tough choice. Or not even a tough choice, but just to clear minutes for him. Be that get Derek trade Derek Rose out. Be that trade Evan Fournier. Whatever the the, the case may be, you're not even trying, you're, and you're not even doing it. You're not creating that opportunity for him. That's a failure, you know. That is, and you're continuing to tie yourself to this coach. And it's it's ridiculous because it's like okay, now we're talking about adding. It's like adding good players, you know. Oh, like Isaiah Hartenstein. It it actually like it creates log jams now. Because you have a coach who's unflexible or inflexible and so tied down to what he believes. He's so dogmatic about what he believes is right, what he believes is correct. How is the best way to play your team? He's so dogmatic about that, that you already know there will be collateral damage in the form of young players not getting enough minutes. And if we get to the Donovan Mitchell at all, part of the reason the Knicks couldn't trade for Donovan Mitchell, which they obviously wanted to do, they're young players. You can sit here, Leon Rose can sit here and write letters to the fans and do, you know, totally uh, very legitimate uh, Q&As with Alan Hahn. He can do all these things and talk about how much he loves the young players, how much he values them, how development is at the core of what we're doing. And he can invest all he's invested in the development staff and analytics and all that stuff. He has, you know, that he had the organization has under his watch. But until you actually show that by giving them minutes and prioritizing their development and creating opportunities and pathways for them to take the reins of this team and be the drivers of success or failure, right? Take that risk. Unless you're willing to do that, then these guys are never going to accrue the value that you want them to have when you're trying to trade for a star. And that means that somebody like Danny Ainge is going to sit there and be like, well, it's cool that you love Emmanuel Quickly and Obi Toppin, but... I don't. I'm not valuing them the way you are, so I need you to give me way more draft capital. It's, it's not unreasonable. It's just not. You know, um, they they still. You know, we're in a position where that's talking about the same thing. You know, we're we know Emmanuel quickly is not going to start this year. We know Obi Toppin is not going to start this year. Quentin Grimes might not start this year. Cam Reddish might not even play this year. These are like four of your alleged core young players or something. I mean, at least three of them are right. Reddish might be considered something of his own thing. But let's say at least three of those guys are, and you're not doing anything to actively get them more minutes. That's a problem. To me, that's a really big problem. That is arguably the biggest problem and the biggest hindrance. So 
Uh, I just think that there's, if we were going to, you know, we can do the Tibbs blame pie. We can do the Leon blame pie. Hell, we can talk about, you know, uh, you know what expectations are for the players and what we and all these things. But like, the, like to me, this this season is all about. It is. It's gonna. It what the success or the failure of the season ultimately falls on Leon Rose and Tom Thibodeau. And I'm not optimistic about it because I think there's a potentially really fun team here with the pieces we have. I think there's potentially a very versatile team. There is a deep team here. It's potentially a very versatile team. But we're just not going to be able to see that stuff because Leon Rose has tied himself to Tom Thibodeau and refuses to make a coaching change. Now, is that because you only get one coaching change and he's trying to save it? And Maybe. But at the end of the day, like we're still wasting time. You know, Emmanuel Quickly and Obi Toppin are entering their third year of their rookie contracts. These are not super young players anymore either. If, if they ever were, Obi Toppin never was in the NBA anyway. And this is the year, like at the end of the season, they'll be up for contract extensions. You you have a potential decision to make there. And also they have a decision to make. If Emmanuel Quickly and Obi Toppin are sitting here at the end of the year, and we're still talking about them as, you know, 20 minute or something like, you know, I think quickly average 22 or something like that last year, 23, whatever. I'll be top and average 17. If we're talking about them in the same type of minutes load, and let's say that again, they are super high net rating, you know, dominating the bench, you know, all that type of stuff. At some point, if you're them, you're probably going to look at it around at the end of the year and be like, can, can you just get me out of here? Because you are not putting me in position to maximize my money and to maximize my career and for me to potentially see what is the top level I can achieve in the NBA. You're not putting me in position to do that, and you don't seem very interested in doing that because you've been here three years, and you've never given me the opportunity. Um, so those are things that they have to handle. They have to get their hands around and, and deal with and grapple with because that decision's coming. It's looming, and um, if they don't do it, I don't know. I think thing, I think things could be really messy this year. I've been saying that for a while. <sighs> the vibes at training camp seem fine. I'm not too worried about the team itself, you know, widespread disharmony. But there's a difference between guys getting along and then how things play out in the season. And I'm worried about that because I really don't trust this coach. And at this point, I don't trust this front office to make the tough decision. Or tough decisions, I should say. Um, so we'll see how it goes. But I wanted to get all of that off of my chest before we recorded Pod Strickland later tonight, uh, where we're not going to be talking, hopefully anyway, uh, too much about this type of nonsense. And we can talk about more fun things like how would we optimize the Knicks lineup and rotation if it was up to us? Uh, okay, that is the pod for today. Just a little quick hitter. Uh, I hope everybody has a great Thursday, and I will see you tomorrow on Pod Strickland. Thank you.